0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome in Boston sports fans everywhere. Episode 13, believe it or not, 13 episodes into Boston's Big Four on the Believe Network. Home base for all things Boston sports for the fans of the city of champions, where, as you know, this sports business is a 24 7, 365 day a year passion. I'm your host, Stephen Ace Norman. New releases every Tuesday, or you know what, at your leisure, because the show can be found on Apple, Spotify, and Google. You want to interact with the show and stay up to date on the latest in sports and the show? You can follow our social media platforms. Information for those. Platforms are up on our webpage, which you can find at Believe.com, spelled B-L-E-A-V. Busy, busy, busy time here in the NFL, and that's where our focus this week is going to be. The NFL offseason kicking off with legal tampering, which opened up yesterday, that being Monday at noon. The league year set to kickoff on Wednesday, but we all know the big deals are starting to get done now and it uh, is only a formality of signing those contracts come the new league year. But the splashes around the league are being made now and really even before legal tampering kicked in were Russell Wilson being traded to Denver and Carson Wentz being moved and Khalil Mack being moved and Aaron Rodgers returning to Green Bay and All the franchise tags that were placed prior to tampering. And, oh yeah, Tom Brady, of course, unretired. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Who couldn't have seen that coming, huh? Who couldn't have seen Tom coming back to the NFL? Hmm. So it's just been a busy, busy time here in the NFL. An exciting time in the NFL. What baseball used to be with Hot Stove is now the NFL free agency. And the NBA has... Some of that shine too with their deadline moves and uh, once their markets open up and players start signing these deals, we know how that works. But baseball and basketball have taken over the free agent market movement and the signings and the interest in it. And if you remember last year, as the Patriots fans, all the big signings, all the splashes, you will, uh, were made right on that Monday and Tuesday. Whether it be Hunter Henry, Matthew Judon, John U. Smith, Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, Jalen Smith, David Gottschow. They were really done and ready to be signed come Wednesday. Monday and Tuesday was like breaking news here, breaking news here. The Patriots have reached a deal with this guy. The Patriots have reached a deal with that guy. And it was such a change from what Patriots fans for so many years felt come those first couple of days of legal tampering and then free agency where they're saying, oh, wait a minute, just sit back and wait. No, Big Buck Bill was hunting last year. And he used Robert Kraft's checkbook to to go hunting for those free agents. And this year we have a slight change. And I'm going to start before we get into the moves the Patriots have made here over the past couple of hours, past couple of days, I want to get into, really, as I sit here and watch everything play out, what's Bill Belichick's offseason plan? That's simple. That's my question for him. What's your plan, Bill? What's the plan for the coaching staff? What's your plan for roster building? Because as I watch a lot of these other teams here in the NFL operate, AFC teams too, okay? A lot of AFC teams making a lot of movements, bolstering their rosters, bolstering their teams, You look at what the Chargers have done here early on in the process. You look at the Browns making a move for Amari Cooper and are also in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. You look at Denver with Russell Wilson and also signing Randy Gregory, that being earlier today. And then you look at the fact that the division the Patriots are in, that AFC East, the Bills are still the best team in that division. And they haven't had a lot of movement here. Uh, over the first couple of days here of legal tampering. But you look at what they were at the end of the season and you look at what you were for the end of the season and the Bills are still atop that division. So the Patriots, as of right now, knowing their troubles with Buffalo last year, have been fighting for a wild card spot. And they're now competing with teams that are upgrading and will be healthier if you look at some of the injuries that they ran into last year. Baltimore, to name one, team that you know dealt with injuries up the wazoo and there were others just not going to list all of them and for years we heard that you know teams that spent on the quarterback position and used an exorbitant amount of their cap space on the quarterbacks just weren't able to compete long term because they didn't have the flexibility to sign players and surround that talent at the quarterback position to win for long periods of time and I think that that was a narrative put out there by the Patriots for a long time And I think what we're seeing now is that was just because the Patriots had Tom Brady and that was how they kept him at a reasonable number and also justified not always going out and spending money because although Brady wasn't the highest paid, he was reasonably paid at different points in time in his tenure here. So you now have Mac Jones on a rookie contract and what are they doing to bolster the roster around him? They have the money, right? They're not spending it on the quarterback. And as I look at the roster and as I look at the coaching staff, as I look at the front office, this team has gotten worse in a pivotal offseason, okay? And it comes back to Bill and I think his stubbornness to very much so be telling you right now, Patriots fans, that yeah, you know what? It has to be his way. I'll do it my way and still win. It seems like Bill is turning back into the stubborn old man that I can figure it out. Just get out of my way. I-, I can do it. And for all the strides that were made during the middle of the season last year and all the good that we felt surrounding this Patriots team, myself included, listen, I'll take the blame. I-, I thought this team was headed in a direction that by the end of the season was very clear they were not headed in. And I look at now and I say, for all the positives that took place during the middle of the season and for... I think the good that came out of Mac Jones and a couple of those free agent signings that the Patriots made last year, uh, well, by the end of the season, they weren't true contenders. And that season ended poorly, and it puts a damper on how you look at this team. That's the reality of it because of the teams that they played at the end of the year and how they handled those matchups not being ready. The attention to detail was no longer there. And the focus to the game plan and the preparation and not making mistakes that were brought on by yourselves, well, that was all on the Patriots. That was all on the coaching. That was all on the players that were in-house and how Bills handled this transition. It kind of seems like he's slipping a little bit with his desire to adapt, okay? The arrogance, the stubbornness. You look at the coaching staff, it highlights it in and of itself. Bringing back coaches and players that he likes that are yes-men. Is it because that he wants, wants those guys on staff? He needs those guys on staff and, and what they bring? Or is it because he can trust them? You know, to take a line from meet the parents, you know, and the Falkers there, okay, the circle of trust. Greg, it's all about the circle of trust. Because if you talk to pl- people around the league, as Tom Curran has done, At the combine, he was saying that those personnel people around the league were saying they were flabbergasted by how the Patriots coaching staff had come together to that point. And they're not the only ones. I've been pounding this drum for a while asking, what the bleep are you doing with your coaching staff? Showing that he has less and less trust in others. He can't bring himself to delegate, not even to guys that he knows. Less bring himself to delegate to perceived outsiders who may have a different frame of thought or a different way of thinking. I mean, hell, we got to bring back Matt Patricia and Joe Judge hat in hand looking for jobs that the rest of the NFL wouldn't offer them? Now, Bill obviously likes these guys. Okay, he thinks they have a good football mind. They bring something to the table, whether that be institutional knowledge or just the fact that they're company men or just the fact that they're cheap, I don't exactly know what it is. I'm not going to pretend I'm inside Bill Belichick's brain right now. I don't believe that I would have them in the roles that they're in. Okay, if you want to bring them back to the staff, I've said it before, you want to have those guys with institutional knowledge because you've lost so many coaches that have had so much tenure here and so much experience here with how you like to do things, then bring back some of those guys but bring them back in the right roles. Bring them back in roles that they're capable of or have done before. This isn't the time to start training people on the fly, which is what Bill is doing. So for as much as I believe Bill has faith in their football minds or whatever they bring, whatever he likes about what they bring to the table, I think there are some concerns, even from Bill's point of view, on just as much How much can they bring to the jobs that he's going to have them fill? Because the report last week was Bill could be calling the offensive plays. Now, it doesn't surprise me that Bill, in a year that Josh just leaves and takes with him two offensive staffers and Mick Lombardi and Cam Brasillo along with him to Vegas, that Bill wouldn't have a more hands-on approach with the offense. But if Bill had capable people on the staff, would he have to take over play-calling duties? Ask yourself that. Does the head coach of the team, whose primary focus is usually and typically is defense, would he be calling the offensive plays if someone on his staff was experienced enough and had the qualities and were qualified enough to do the job? I mean, just ask yourself. If there were capable coaches on the staff to call the offensive plays, would it even be floated out? And I'm sure it came from a source close to or within the organization that Bill Belichick, the head coach of the team, was potentially going to be calling plays. That can only be because of one or two things. One, Bill doesn't trust someone from the outside who's actually qualified to do the job. He doesn't trust that person. Okay, He doesn't want them within the organization messing up the way that he likes things done. Or two, he doesn't trust or have enough confidence in the coaches that he has on staff that he trusts personally, but they just aren't good enough to do those jobs or that job that is important for the offense to run smoothly come game day. One thing I commonly hear from Patriots fans and have heard again this year is the Patriots cap situation just won't allow them to spend. Okay, they only have about $10 million in cap flexibility coming into free agency. They have players that they want to retain. They just didn't have enough flexibility within the cap to add players who are impact players or guys that you typically see sign deals or come to agreements in the first day and second day of legal tampering. And I'll tell you right now that narrative has bothered me more and more each year. It's kind of BS, not kind of, it is. The cap can be maneuvered if you want it to be, okay? Does it always mean you can go out and splurge like the Patriots did last year? No, and that's not what I'm suggesting in the least bit. But if you want a big name, that's going to hit free agency, and you think that player is an impact player who fits your system, who is going to bring something to the table that you are currently lacking, you can maneuver your cap to make it fit, okay? You can shed contracts, you can extend out contracts, signing bonuses, this, that, and everything else. I'm not going to pretend to be a cap specialist, but I watch other teams do it every single year. These teams that People will say there's no way they can add a player of that caliber. They can't afford them. And then a trade happens or a signing happens, and all of a sudden, the cap numbers worked out, okay? The reality is, is there are really, really, really smart people maneuvering caps, okay, that aren't average Joe Blow fans or myself and media members who have this down to a science, and it can work if you want, okay? You can shed contracts. You can make moves to bring in guys that you view as impact, need-to-have players. So throw that narrative that it can't be done because of the cap. That's BS. It's not hockey. It's not a hard cap. It can be done. So Bill spent last year, why? In part because the roster was bare because of his own drafting issues and poor signings. Okay, he was embarrassed coming off of a 7 and 9 season and he didn't want the Patriots and that organization and Robert Kraft, key component of this too here, keep that in mind, didn't want the Patriots to sick sink, excuse me, back into the abyss. So Bill Belichick walked into the casino, dropped 160 million dollars on the table and asked for chips. This season, all of a sudden, because it's a little bit tighter, he's walking into the casino with fives and tens and playing penny slots, and people are saying, oh, well, that's because he spent last year. No, no, no. He couldn't splurge like he did last year, but that wouldn't stop him from signing players like, I don't know, JC Jackson, or going out and making an impact wide receiver signing. And I think that there is an aspect here that Robert Kraft is involved, okay, ownership, is heavily involved in setting the parameters for what these teams can spend. So if this comes back to Robert Kraft, and this is a behind-the-scenes thing that we don't see, and we know how Bill has spent in the past, so we're quick to point the finger primarily at him, which I would say more times than not is probably the right person to point it at. But if this has a large part to do with Robert Kraft say no, you spent last year, Well, then Robert needs to also adjust because as I look at the Patriots here, the improvement that they made last year was very small, incremental improvement, okay? Did they get a quarterback that looks like he's capable? Sure. Did they get a defensive lineman who looks like he's a good player? Sure. But at the end of the day, the free agent signings and the additions in the draft equaled out to a 10-7 and record where you were blown out by a division rival, Okay, and you didn't play well down the stretch. So you have to look at that and say, you know what? I don't love spending the money. Okay, I don't like going over my budget, and it's not a good business plan if we're going to have to do it every single season. But The Patriots just did it last season. Okay, The year before, they really didn't spend anything because the cap caught up to them. So they were under, if you looked at, dollars actually spent and not what was working against their books. They're very different things. So you have to factor that in. If Robert Kraft has a large portion and a part to do with this, then he deserves some of the blame for it too. So let's talk about what the Patriots have done here. A big deal just going down in real time. Never really get to do that with a podcast. Shaq Mason has been traded from the Patriots to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for a fifth round pick. The move will save the Patriots roughly about $7 million. The Bucs get Shaq Mason, one of the Patriots' better interior offensive linemen, that will help the Buccaneers shore up that offensive line for Tom Brady. Now, as for the Patriots... They have signed back Brian Hoyer for a two-year deal. Devin McCordy and Matthew Slater both get one-year deals from the team. Nick Folk back on a two-year deal, as is James White. Earlier, the Patriots placed a second-round tender on Jacoby Myers. And Chase Winovich was traded today to the Cleveland Browns for an inside linebacker. Yesterday, the Patriots saw J.C. Jackson agree to terms with the L.A. Chargers And Ted Karras agreed to terms with Cincinnati Bengals. So interesting now here for the Patriots who lose both of their starting guards in Mason and Karras. And you wonder how they'll fill those spots. I'm not going to do offensive line talk with you. That's just going to bore people to death. They'll turn it off right away. So here's my take on the moves the Patriots have made to this point. Really just re-signing their team from last year. They're running it back to this point. Okay, maybe things could change. I'm crossing my fingers. I'm hoping that they do something that actually shores up some of the holes that they have on this roster. But to this point, they're signing back their older core that they're holding on to longer than they have in the past, okay? In the 2000s, you would have never seen players like Devin McCourty, Matthew Slater, Nick Fulk, James White, Brian Hoyer all return in the same offseason. You just wouldn't see it. And if they did, they would have been taking pay cuts and restructuring their deals, Bill has kind of got on this track where he's bringing back guys he likes to coach, older guys whose production is down. They're still good players, solid players. They offer something up to the locker room and the culture. But he's holding on to those players for longer than he ever has in the past. And I think it shows you that, one, he needs that locker room culture in there because he doesn't have it in the players that he's drafted and or brought in, or he doesn't feel strong enough about where they're at in that process yet. And I think that he's also looking at it and saying, I don't have anything to fill those roles with. I don't have any players that can take over what Matthew Slater does on special teams, or at least not enough. Or maybe he's just saying, I like Matthew Slater. Either way, that's not really a good business or a good roster management. Same with Devin McCourty. $9 million. I like the player. I think that he is still a productive player at 34, going to be 35. I think last season, his play was down. That's just my perspective. I saw him take some bad angles. I saw him get beat more than I've seen in the past. Guess wrong. I just think that his play has slipped. But they need that on the back end of that secondary. They need that stability because they don't have it in the terms of anyone else back there right now. And JC Jackson walking away, if you also saw Devin McCourty walk away, what would that secondary be without either one of those guys? But it's a real change in what Bill has done in the past to how Bill is operating now. And it shows you that he's more in line with coaching guys he likes and coaching guys that he feels offer up a culture. And he doesn't mind bringing back older players, which is a philosophy that he was never about When moving on from guys earlier rather than later, sooner rather than later, because you want to get the return and the value that you would get from moving on from those players and filling them with younger players who are ready to step up. And that shows you the depth of this team and how Bill views the depth of this team that he built. I think it's worth asking the question, is Bill putting too much emphasis on culture? Mike Reese in his Sunday notes for ESPN Boston wrote this, that this year's primary theme of the team's free agent activity would be about culture, writing that Matthew Slater and Devin McCourty could be the signature moves made this year. And Mike Reese, a in guy, I'm sure he got that from someone within the organization. And although I've agreed that culture is a huge part of the Patriots here, the preparation, the buy-in, the attention to details is something that has helped this team beat so many other teams who are stupid and undisciplined and overlook key aspects of being just tapped in mentally. And a lot of that comes back to culture. So I think it is important and it has been important. The only thing that I would say that pushes back against that in the slightest is that culture is important, but you have to have enough talent to compete with other teams. Your culture doesn't equal wins if the team on the other side of the field is that much better than you, that much faster than you, that much more talented than you. The culture isn't going to pay off if you can't compete. You can buy in and do all the prepara- preparation excuse me, in the world, but if you're not actually able To play better and execute better than the team on the opposing side of the field, that culture isn't going to get you very far. And oh, by the way, some of that culture wanes as you lose. You look at the work ethic that was at the end of the season, the attention to those details, it digressed as the Patriots faced better competition and got beat handedly. So far, the moves that Bill has made is telling me that he's fine bringing back the same group. Okay, The same group, aging one more year, keeping the status quo, and just expecting players like Mac Jones, Kendrick Bourne, Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, and others to continue to get better in the system in their second year. And the Patriots are going to need that. Now, I'm hoping that with the $7 million they gain by trading away Shaq Mason, that they're able to either sign or trade for a impact linebacker or wide receiver or cornerback or edge rusher, all of the positions that I think they need addressing. But Bill must not be that worried with how the end of the season played out. I mean, that's what he's kind of telling me to this point. He's telling you that he can operate like he did when Tom Brady was here. Like he can get guys on that secondary market For lesser contracts, better deals, fit them into the system, coach them up, and get the same production that other teams get out of better players who have more skill. Which brings me to this take, which is something that evolves. Okay, takes evolve. Perspectives evolve. One minute you can be sitting high and feeling good about a plan, and the next moment, down the line, not so far down the line, you can feel differently. Right now, Bill, in year three of this rebuild, retool, I'm not feeling so good about the whole process. I'm not liking how he's operating this offseason. I liked how he handled last offseason. Aggressive, against the grain, against what he typically likes to do out of his comfort zone. And I thought the Patriots made a step in the right direction that in the middle part of the season I felt like was a substantial step. By the end of the season, I wasn't so sure But it was them going after better tier players. But what I've seen since the end of the season is a Bill that's gone back to bullish Bill instead of big buck Bill. A guy that's set in his ways, arrogant, stubborn, whatever you want to use to describe Bill. He's operating as if it was the old days when the Patriots were walking into AFC championship games and winning their division every year. The reality is the league, other teams within the league, can offer good deals and are closer to Super Bowls. And the Patriots don't have that recent resume of, oh yeah, AFC championship game. Oh yeah, Super Bowl. Oh oh, yeah, division. Don't even have that as of the past two years. So they're not handling bringing on talent this offseason the way they did last offseason, so it seems to be back to good old Bill, good old stubborn, my process, my way Bill. And as he gets older, and you look at the coaching staff, you would think he would want to delegate more. Instead, he's biting off what, in my estimation, is more than he can chew, or at least from, from where I'm sitting, okay? Because Bill trying to overlook the defense, the special teams, and the offense and call the offensive play calls as the O.C., is like trying to watch three programs at once and have a good understanding of what's going on in all three of them and being able to give you a recap and an in-depth recap at that of exactly what happened. When if you look at last year, the mental errors and the penalties and the preparation issues kind of alluded to the fact that the coaching staff wasn't doing what they needed to do. Listen, Bill makes it all run, but elite coaching is about more than one coach. And the way that Bill's putting together this staff, it's like he's saying to you, I know these guys can do all of this stuff. And the fact that you can't see it, that's your fault. It's like a painter who throws paint on a canvas and looks like a five-year-old who finger-painted something and will sit there and tell you, this is brilliant. This is, this is absolutely gorgeous. And you just don't have an eye for it. You just don't understand. And if you look at the offensive assistant role that, You're going to see Joe Judge step into, is that what you want to help develop Mac Jones in the second year of his whole building up to be what you would need to be a top five quarterback or hope to be a top five quarterback? And don't confuse his maturity for experience. And the coaches don't have experience. They're all learning on the fly in their second year. So you have to keep improving. And I don't feel like the Patriots are improving. And Bill's conducting himself like, It's coaching over players, and that's what wins out. You always hear him in his post-game press conferences you know, giving the players the credit. But now he's operating like it's all about himself. It's all about his process, and that's how they're going to win. He wants to win, but it has to be on his terms. He has to nail the market. He doesn't want to overpay. He's going to set his coaching staff up the way he wants and doesn't give a crap about what anyone else thinks. And that's fine, once again, when you're winning. But he's not winning on the levels that he used to win that used to allow people to second-guess him and him to poo-poo it and not have to answer questions for it. That's not the reality of how the Patriots have played the past two seasons or even three going back to Brady's last year. Yet Bill is still operating like New England is still a desirable destination when the reality of it is is the good players that the Patriots got last year and the big signings they made last year were not because of Bill Belichick specifically. They were about the bankroll money that he showed them. Okay, no one was taking less money to come play with Mac Jones or Cam Newton. And maybe there was an appeal to playing for Bill Belichick, but that wasn't the overriding reason why players signed here in New England last year. They signed here because Bill opened up the checkbook and paid them according to the market. So obviously, I don't feel good right now. And I don't know many Patriots fans that feel good right now. And the ones that will tell you they do, I believe that's because they have a blind faith in Bill Belichick. And he's earned that to a certain degree. But once again, your past does not speak for your current if it's not the same level of performance, execution, and dominance. So it's just a different way to look at Bill Belichick, and people are reluctant to to push back against Bill Genius. But I think that you got to look at how they're attacking free agency. And you're not going to fill all your voids. Not all of them. Okay, some of them. But not all of them in the secondary market where teams get deals. Because there are other teams out there that can offer really good deals and have better rosters and better situations and are more ready to win than the New England Patriots right now. And it's really risky for the Patriots to put all their emphasis on the draft. Fans saying they need wide receiver at the draft and linebacker and now cornerback and oh yeah you could use an edge rusher. That's a lot to ask for from a draft that's seen some ups and downs here recently and only one real up which was last year. Their selection with cornerbacks and linebackers and especially wide receivers in the history of the draft has not been overwhelmingly A plus check check check. So just keep that in mind as you look at expectations for what the Patriots will and can do in the draft. Even if they hit on those picks, it's not often that those picks are able to come in and play pro bowl high level right off the bat. Some can, but that's the upper tier player that you usually see in the first two rounds. Patriots have a couple of picks there, but will they be hits and immediate impact and plug in play guys? That's yet to be seen. That brings us to the final topic that I want to hit on on this week's episode so we stay right in our normal time frame, and that's J.C. Jackson, which also falls in line with our discussion on this week's episode. Yesterday, J.C. Jackson signed a five-year deal, $82.5 million, with $40 million being guaranteed at signing, making him one of the top-paid cornerbacks in the league. No surprise there. We knew he was going to get a major payday, a major pay raise from what he's been making as an undrafted free agent since 2018. And look, here's how I look at this contract and how I break down a lot of these contracts. What's the guaranteed money? In this case, it's $40 million. So the Patriots weren't comfortable paying $40 million over the first two years of the deal, which is how it's broken down for a lot of these players. It's the first couple years of the deal you have to look at. So they weren't comfortable with that. And the other way you could look at it is it's five years for... $82.5 $82.5 million, which brings him in at a AAV of $16.5 million, which is not crazy. It's not the Jalen Ramsey money, which is five years, $105 million with 71.2 guaranteed. And I look at both those numbers and I say, those are terms the Patriots should have been comfortable with. At the very least, extending themselves for a player and a position of need. Sometimes you have to pay for need. And when you haven't planned out properly and you don't have anything behind J.C. Jackson as a fill-in and there's no clear replacement or succession for a player, you have to overpay a little bit. And at least in J.C. Jackson's case, he's 26 years old. He's a durable player who has caused turnover after turnover after turnover. 25 picks since he came into the league. 25 picks. That's the most by a player in the first four seasons. Of His career and if you look at last season eight interceptions a league leading 23 passes defended and one forced fumble is JC Jackson a shutdown corner. No, probably not a shutdown corner, but he's a premier corner in the league. He's a player that has fit into your system that has been around the ball right place right time. There's something to be said about that. It's not all coaching. And he's turned over the football enough that's given your offense an opportunity to score points, and that is one of the biggest differences in winning and losing football games. A physical man corner in a limited market that you don't have to now go back to the drawing boards and piece together how you're going to build your defense or how you're going to play your defense. You're not tied to playing just zone, which Patriots did a lot last year, but if you're put aside another good cornerback with JC Jackson, you could go back to that physical man coverage that Bill has been known to play and good quarterbacks pick apart zone. So that's the reality of it. And I look at JC Jackson and I say, this is a good player. This is a player who's at that right age that you probably didn't want to go five years that you didn't want to give him the guaranteed money, but you know what, what do you have? What's your plan? And the Patriots don't have one in the depth at that position. Jalen Mills, who played the boundary corner last year, but that's not really where he fits in best. Jonathan Jones should be coming back from an injury, will be good in the slot. Jawan Williams has sucked. Sean Wade barely got on the field last year. He was the rookie they traded for in the preseason. And Justin Bethel is more of a special teams player. And that's not even to bring up Bill's debacles in the draft when it comes to picking cornerbacks. Need I mention Jawan Williams in the second round in 2019? Duke Dawson in the second round in 2018 or Cyrus Jones in the second round in 2016 and Razai Dowling, I forget what year it was, also being a second round player, they never really panned out. And you look at what Bill has now and the way he likes to play defense and when this team has won and won Super Bowls, Ty Law, Asante Samuel, Akib Talib, Daryl Revis, Malcolm Butler, Stefan Gilmore, who do the Patriots have now to fill in? And Bill not willing to go to the number that it would have taken to get this player. To me, it's just stubbornness. Evan Lazar reporting that the Patriots were close. I've heard Mike Giardi contradict that report. But the Patriots wanted to offer a shorter-term deal with less guaranteed money. And to me, the player is saying, you know what? I got a team that's going to pay me more right now. I already waited out the process. I bet on myself. And during the season, Patriots came to him, so you know that they liked him to a certain degree, but they didn't like him enough. And I look at that and I say, once again, Bill, what's your succession plan? You don't have one. Another example of roster mismanagement, asset mismanagement, where the Patriots didn't place the franchise tag on J.C. Jackson, they could have done that and tried to work out a trade later on, buying them more time, or even kept the player, I don't know, maybe because he could have helped you, And at a position that you don't have very much, especially against Buffalo and some other teams you're facing this year, whose passing game is elite and premier in your defense right now, which was supposed to be your catalyst down the stretch, wilted away. And now you've left it thinner than even before. I would have personally tagged them and kept them if you weren't comfortable giving them an extension. At least draft something or sign someone, have them in the system, have them there for a year where you can coach them up, and then you're in a better position at the cornerback position and with your depth later on as then one more offseason down the road, he departs and you have at least a better succession plan there in a more stable depth than what you have right now at a position which is one of the most important in the whole NFL. Quarterback cornerback, edge rusher, and then maybe wide receiver. You could argue some other positions, but it's one of the top three positions, in my opinion, in the entire league. And the Patriots have a whole bunch of who, what, where, and what the hell are you going to do in their defensive backfield? I mean, I'd love for someone to explain to me how tagging Joe Tooney a couple years ago for $15 million, a guard, And then letting walk away in free agency the following season is more worth it than tagging J.C. Jackson, a number one cornerback, at $17.3 million and at least getting someone else ready to fill that position in the following year is not worth it. Please explain that one to me because I'm still scratching my head searching for answers on that. And for the group of fans out there who are saying J.C. Jackson isn't worth the money and J.C. Jackson is not a shutdown corner, he gets targeted, he gets beat, I want you to name me a cornerback in this league who doesn't. In the era of passing the football, name me one corner who isn't thrown at at all and has never gotten beat or doesn't get beat even throughout the course of a 17-game season at all. I mean, name, name someone, please. Jalen Ramsey, who's topped out the entire market, He was beat by Tom Brady in a playoff game. He was attacked by Joe Burrow in a Super Bowl, a second-year quarterback. Does that mean Jalen Ramsey isn't worth it? He is. In this era, all cornerbacks get thrown on. There's no more uh, Revis Island or players like that. Everyone gets thrown on because every team can throw the football. And that's where we're going to wrap up this week's episode. I did want to touch on Tom Brady's unretirement as if he was ever actually retired from the game of football. But time-wise, I think we're already pushing it with the length of this episode. So there you have it. Episode 13 of Boston's Big Four in the books. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed every episode you've ever listened to that's come from this program. I really do. And if you did... Please subscribe and download the show. Tell your friends. Get the word out there. I'd love to hear more feedback from people, get more feedback, and reach more ears, and also give you what you like to hear. So if you want to follow the show, Apple, Spotify, and Google, we also have our Instagram, Facebook, and email running. You can find that information, as I said at the beginning of of the program, on the website believe.com. But for this week, thank you for loaning me your ears and attention. I know it's valuable. Until next week, Boston, be real, be strong, be Boston.